bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 9th, 2016. This week, 24 years ago, a bill was introduced to make the long-term tax credit a permanent part of the tax code. The Tax Fairness and Economic Growth Act of 1992 was introduced February 11, 1992, by Representative Dick Gephardt. After finding support in both the House and the Senate, the bill made its way to the President's desk. However, President George H.W. Bush vetoed the bill March 20th. Congress attempted to override the veto, but failed. As you know, the long term tax credit was eventually made permanent a year later, in 1993, as part of the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. Now, moving on to this week's podcast, we'll start off with the general news section, where I'll talk about the planned release of the President's fiscal year 2017 budget proposal, as well as what hearings will be held this week to discuss the President's plan. Then, I'll discuss the Federal Housing Administration's first update of its Multifamily Accelerated Processing, or MAP, guide in more than four years. In our local housing tax credit section, I'll have details on federal legislation that would make a number of reforms to the Housing Choice Voucher and Project-Based Voucher programs. Then, I'll discuss how HUD may address the issue of providing public housing to families whose incomes rise significantly above initial limits. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I'll talk about the opening of the fiscal year 2016 funding round of the Capital Magnet Fund, and I'll share information about the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. Also, in our New Markets Tax Credit section, I'll discuss the amount of qualified equity investments issued in the past month. Then, in our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll talk about report findings on the value of the State Historic Tax Credit in Alabama and about the efforts to renew the program for another seven years. And we'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, where I'll discuss a legislative change to North Dakota's wind energy tax credit that could greatly benefit developers. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, President Barack Obama is expected to submit his fiscal year 2017 budget proposal, the last one of his presidency, to Congress today. The document will detail tax and spending proposals, as well as a budget overview for the Treasury Department and other federal activities. In his budget, President Obama is expected to call for $11 billion over the next 10 years to house homeless families. $8.8 billion of that total would be earmarked for housing choice vouchers, and $2.2 billion of it would go to short-term assistance. Funding would go toward the goal of ending family and youth homelessness by the year 2020. On top of this $11 billion proposal, the President is also calling for discretionary spending on 10,000 new housing vouchers, 8,000 new units of rapid rehousing, and 25,000 new units of supportive housing. President Obama is also expected to request $25 million to test projects for homeless youth. Now, we'll post the budget proposal as soon as it's available at www.novaco.com, 
and we'll post an analysis of its affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy provisions on the notes for the Novogratic blog. On that note, the Senate Finance Committee will have a hearing on the President's proposed fiscal year 2017 Treasury budget request, including tax proposals, on Wednesday, tomorrow, February 10th at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Similarly, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Kevin Brady announced they'll have a hearing this week on the President's proposed Treasury budget. Their hearing will be this Thursday, February 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The sole witness for each hearing will be Treasury Secretary Jack Lew. The public is invited to submit written statements for the committee to consider. You can submit your comments up until Tuesday, February 25th. For more information, go to www.waysandmeans.house.gov. Switching gears now, the Federal Housing Administration, or FHA, last week comprehensively updated its Multifamily Accelerator Processing, or MAP Guide, for the first time since 2011. The new MAP Guide combines all FHA multifamily underwriting guidance into one document. The goal is to cut loan application approval times and to promote consistency across all HUD processing offices. The updated MAP Guide includes revised chapters that discuss the loan-commencing tax credit and other tax credits. There's also a separate chapter on master lease structuring to facilitate the use of new markets tax credits and historic tax credits. Requirements of the revised guide are effective May 28th. You can find the new MAP guide at www.hudresourcecenter.com. In affordable housing news, the House of Representatives last week passed the Housing Opportunity Through Modernization Act of 2015. This legislation contains a number of reforms to affordable housing programs. Among other provisions, the bill would allow contract terms of Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher contracts to be extended to 20 years from their current 15 years. It would eliminate some requirements that have made Section 8 program hard to administer. It would simplify requirements for and expand the use of project-based vouchers. It would streamline Housing Choice Voucher Program's physical inspection requirements. The bill would also provide protection for Section 8 residents from fluctuations in fair market rental rates, as well as limit assistance for public housing tenants who have incomes greater than 120% of area median income for two consecutive years. Furthermore, the bill provides public housing agencies greater flexibility to transfer funding between their operating and capital funds. It changes the Rural Housing Service Single Family Guaranteed Loan Program to be consistent with other loan programs, and it reduces FHA regulations for existing condominium projects. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that this bill would save the federal government $311 million over five years. The bill was sponsored by Representative Blaine Lutkemeyer, a Republican from Missouri, and it passed the House by a 427-0 vote, and it now goes to the Senate. My colleague, Susan Wilson, in her Austin office, notes that this legislation is significant for many reasons, including she notes that the, it proposes some adjustments to current programs to streamline processes for housing agencies and owners while benefiting the tenants through efficiencies gained. Also, the bill's provisions show how affordable housing efforts are adjusting to changing markets and times to better serve those who live in the housing. You can read the bill at www.hudresourcecenter.com. Click on the Legislation tab. Once again, the bill is H.R. 3700, 
Housing Opportunities Through Modernization Act of 2015. In other news, HUD announced last week that it is considering making a rule to address over-income tenants in public housing. Currently, public housing agencies are not required to evict households whose incomes rise above the limit for initial admission. However, a recent HUD report found that more than 25,000 families in public housing had incomes exceeding the applicable 2014 admission income limit. Now, to be fair, that's 25,000 families out of 1.1 million in public housing. Still, HUD will pay an estimated $104.4 million in one year for over-income families to live in public housing. As you can imagine, the issue of whether to evict over-income families is complicated. And HUD does plan to proceed with caution. On one hand, HUD said that increasing family incomes is good. Rising income indicates that a family may be on its way to self-sufficiency. On the other hand, HUD also strives to provide scarce affordable housing resources to those who need them the most. So the question is, how to determine when a family no longer needs housing assistance? HUD acknowledged that an increase in income may be minimal or temporary, so it should not be the basis for a family to lose housing assistance. However, for families who demonstrate a significant increase in income above the initial limits and for a sustained period, HUD is considering determining circumstances that would require a public housing agency to terminate tenancy or evict an over-income family. Now, comments on the proposed rulemaking are due March 4th. The Community Development Financial Institutions Fund last week opened the fiscal year 2016 funding round for the Capital Magnet Fund. The Capital Magnet Fund is a competitive grant program through which CDFIs and other qualified nonprofit housing organizations receive awards to finance affordable housing and economic development activities in underserved areas. Funding for the Capital Magnet Fund comes from allocations from government-sponsored enterprises Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The exact amount of funding that's going to be available for this fiscal year 2016 will be determined soon. But according to CDFI fund estimates, we can expect that about $80 million will be available. More information about how Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac contribute to this funding can be found on the notes from the Democratic blog, including our preliminary estimates as to how much funding might be possible. Now, for those of you interested in the program, please note there are two different deadlines to apply, depending upon how you submit your application. The first deadline is March 16th. That's for submissions through www.grants.gov. The other deadline is March 30th for submissions through the CDFI Fund's Award Management Information System, or AMIS. Application materials will be available online through www.grants.gov and AMIS. Now, if you have any questions or would like assistance with your Capital Magnet Fund application, please contact my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach, California office. In other news, the CDFI Fund recently announced it will conduct three workshops for potential applicants of the fiscal year 2016 round of the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. The, the workshops will cover the application review and evaluation process. These workshops are going to be held in Washington, D.C., February 16th to the 18th, in San Francisco, March 2nd, and in Dallas, March 4th. The CDFI Fund strongly encourages potential applicants to attend the workshops. Registration will be on a first-come, first-served basis. Registration for all workshops closes at 5 p.m. Eastern Time this Thursday, February 11th. Also, important to note, the CDFI Fund is extending the CDFI 
certification application deadline for the fiscal year 2016 round from February 12th to March 4th, giving applicants an extra three weeks to submit their applications. For more information, go to www.cd5fund.gov. Now, for news specifically about New Markets Tax Credits, the CD5 Fund last week released its monthly Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report, or QEI report. Among other things, the QEI report identifies the total dollar amount finalized by New Market Tax Credit allocatees, as well as the total amount remaining to be issued. According to the most recent report, nearly $1.1 billion of allocation authority was issued since the previous QEI report was released on January 3rd. As of February 3rd, this year, the amount of New Market Tax Credit allocation authority still available is about $2 billion. That being said, most of that allocation authority has already been unofficially committed. To read the report or learn more about the New Market Tax Credit program, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. In historic tax credit news, a new study shows the value that a state historic tax credit has given to Alabama. The study, commissioned by the Alabama Historical Commission, reports that the tax credit program is responsible for more than $380 million in private investment in the state since 2013. Now, I should disclose, this study was done by Novogratic and Company. The Alabama study also says that for every dollar of tax credit from the state, nearly $4 is returned over a 20-year period. The Alabama credit is good for up to 25% of the cost of rehabilitation of an historic residential or commercial property. There is a $20 million annual cap on the program. The study reports that the state will break even on its investment in $60 million of tax credits by the year 2019. The credit is responsible for more than 2,000 construction jobs and 1,300 operational phase jobs, with the latter number expected to continue to grow. This report comes at a crucial time when Alabama's Historic Renovation Tax Credit Program is set to expire. State lawmakers began their session last Wednesday, and there's already a bill to extend the state credit for seven years. That's HB 62. And as the report shows, there's every reason to extend the tax credit. So it will be interesting to see how the legislation progresses. If you have any questions about the Alabama or any other state historic tax credit program, call my partner Tom Bosha in our Cleveland office. You can also go to our website at www.historictaxcredits.com. In our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, I have good news for renewable energy developers in North Dakota. The North Dakota Department of Revenue recently advised taxpayers of the change in the credit for energy properties. Legislation passed by the 2015 North Dakota Legislature extended the time period to complete the installation of a wind energy facility and still qualify for a tax credit. The extension was from January 1, 2015 to January 1, 2017. That gives developers an extra two years to complete their energy projects, but that only applies if they started construction before January 1, 2015. Previously, the installation of the device had to be completed before January 1, 2015. Now, changing the requirements from completing construction to beginning construction does buy developers more time to qualify for the state tax credit. The credit is equal to 3% of the acquisition and installation costs of a renewable energy development. It is, it is allowed in each of the five tax years starting with the year the installation is completed. 
If you want to learn more about the credit, go to www.nd.gov. And while we're on the topic of financing renewable energy, I'm happy to announce that registration is now open for Novogratz's 2016 Financing Renewable Energy Tax Credit Conference. It's being held April 28th and 29th at the Grand Hyatt in San Francisco. You can register today at www.novico.com events. We hope to see you there. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Before we end, though, here's a quick reminder that the Novogratic LIHTC 101, the basics webinar, will be held this Thursday, February 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The course presents an overview of the Long Housing Tax Credit Program. You can register at www.novaco.com and make sure you sign up by Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. That's tomorrow evening. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.